We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson. Thanks for being with us today. We're glad you are along. Lots to get to on this day. Uh, Before we get to any of it, though, I want to congratulate all of you listening, every single one of you listening, because with, with a level of confidence that borders on almost outrageous self-assurance. I can bet that you are all smarter than the guy who got arrested in Kansas on the weekend. And I want to congratulate you for that. That you, that somewhere in the world, no matter how many mistakes you've made today and how many poor decisions you've made today, there is someone out there dumber than you (laughs) on this particular day. Uh, guy got pulled over, uh, for suspected drunk driving. And when police asked him to exit his car, um, he was wearing a beer can costume over his clothes just to, you know, drive home the point and make sure that police knew that someone had been having too good a time before getting behind the wheel of a car. See, it doesn't matter what you did today. You've done better than that guy. So congratulations. We're off to a good start already. Let me tell you what's coming up on the show today. Uh, we're going to be chatting about, well, Speaking of doing better than dot, 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 uh, you know what tonight is, right? Right at like seven or seven 30 tonight. I can't remember what time they start. Um, Leafs. I know that Rick Zamperin right now, Mr. Leaf fan is presently at home, curled up in a fetal position, sucking his thumb and praying to various deities. Um, the Leafs play tonight season era. Players, coaches, front office staff, all of it on the line tonight. We're going to be talking about that in a few moments. Uh, how about the idea of renaming downtown Dundas, uh, young Dundas Square in Toronto, Gordon Lightfoot Square? This is being proposed now. What do you think about the idea of Gordon Lightfoot Square? And keep in mind, this comes, this idea comes just days after our school board here in Hamilton said, we're not naming anything after people anymore. That's a bad idea. We'll talk about whether we should be calling Gordon Lightfoot Square, calling a square Gordon Lightfoot Square. Um, new, um, new passport is out. We'll be talking about that for better or for worse. Uh, here's one. I don't even want to give this one away, but you know what? I was wrong a moment ago when I said we couldn't do anything stupider. The Canadian government has spent thousands of dollars on a cultural program that you will want to stick around to find out what it is. I am reasonably sure that if you sat at your chair or desk or car or whatever, if you sat there for the next 10 to 12 hours, you couldn't come up with what it is that the government has decided is a culturally important program to spend your tax dollars on. We will, we will talk about that, uh, later in the show. There's a wine festival around here. We're going to be chatting about that. Everyone likes wine for mother's day. Don't they? Uh, China trade, how that's going to be affected. There's a lot of people saying China now, because of what's gone on with the diplomat, that China is just going to do it to us. Well, apparently that's not a good idea for, not even for us, for China. We'll try and explain why that's the case. You would think that they could crush us like a little bug if they wanted to, but apparently that's not the case. There is real potential for harm to China by doing that. I did not realize that. Lots and lots and lots of other things as well, including, including. Have you seen the new artwork that is going to adorn the pages of our new passports? 
Before we get to that part of the show, take a moment or two, go online, go look up the new artwork for the passports. Tell me how inspired you are by this artwork that, well, I'll give you a hint. Somebody online today said it looks like it's a mural that someone painted on the wall of a children's, a child's nursery. That's these, this is our new passport art. What did we get rid of? Oh, we're going to talk about it all. There is a chance that today is the final day of an, of an era in Leafland if they don't win this game. I want to bring in Stephen Ellis. He's the uh, associate editor with the Daily Faceoff. Joins us now. Stephen, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am well. Uh, I am probably doing better than those who absolutely live and die with the Maple Leafs because I have a feeling there's some ulcers and uh, maybe some, I don't know what else, some people having early PTSD or something. I'm not really sure, but I'm not sure this is an easy day for Leaf fans. Not at all. This, this, this obviously feels a little bit different. You know, when the game sevens year after year after year, there's still so much hope. But in this case, you know, it's it just when you lose three in a row and you look at those first two games and you can argue the Leafs were the better team and they just kept making mistakes and then the Panthers pick made you pay. But that third game, it just seemed to suck the life out of the fan base. It just, you know, not much went well there. You know, uh, your starting goalie gets hurt. They're making mistakes at all three ends of the ice. Their top scorers not scoring at mm. all. It's like, what was going on? So, uh, yeah, I don't exactly blame the, the fan base right now. And it's so ironic that you said this feels different because that's the exact phrase that was being used in the first series, but on a different reason, for a different reason. Everyone was saying this Leaf team feels different as if they're going to win finally. And they did. And now you're saying it feels different because usually at least they put up a fight and get it to game seven before they destroy their fans' lives. This way they're doing it, it potentially, potentially, not yet, but potentially in a sweep. I don't know which is worse. Which is worse? Oh, I don't know. It's like, a, you know, <laughs> a, a, given everything that's gone on in the last like couple of decades, basically ever since I started falling hockey with the, the lack of wins, it's like you kind of just expect it every year. But this year there felt like there was hope. They finally win that first round series. They finally get over that hurdle. And then you're coming against a team that on paper and based off how the season went, you think this is going to be good for the Leafs. They're going to be playing for a conference final. Instead, they're, they're falling apart. And they can't. Yeah. So that's, that's a tough spot to be in. It's just like, it, it, you know, it's a feeling the fan base hasn't had to feel in, in, in about 20 years. Well, the most leafy in thing that could possibly happen, I think now would be that the Leafs win the next three games to take it to game seven and then have a performance like they did last game where nobody shows up and they lose. Just to once again, drum up that hope and then put the pin in the balloon and let it all out slowly. That, 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 that would be the thing. But if they don't win, if they don't win tonight, are we looking at the end of an era for the Leafs? Are, I mean, every year we keep hearing when they lose, well, they're going to have to make big changes and they never do. Is this the time though, that if they do lose that those big changes are going to come? I, I'm still going to aim with no, and I know really? you know when you when you look at it, so, there's got to be some changes. But you know, like look at how this season went. They addressed the needs they needed to. They got that depth they finally needed. Where you know it wasn't just Morgan Riley having to play 30 minutes a night. It was like you guys they, they went out there and got the depth they needed on the blue line. And you know you look at some of these things, and hockey's got to be one of the most random sports. It's like. The Boston Bruins just had the best season we've ever seen, and the Panthers just erased a 3-1 series deficit to beat them. Like, this is a Panthers team that is flying high, and you look at it, 
you know, there's a lot of, you know, you can keep looking at the excuses here, but, you know, they, they lost to Tampa Bay and they went for the cup final last year. And, you know, the year before that, they lose to Montreal and, and they go play in the cup final. But, you know, hockey is just a completely random sport. Now, at the same time, when you look at it, other teams can handle their top players not performing and still can look good. You look at the Carolina Hurricanes, they have a couple of their key guys are injured and it hasn't slowed them down one bit. So the Leafs need to figure out how to get the scoring from other places. But, you know, it, it, it seems like even though it's slightly different this year, at the same time, you're running into, you know, goaltending's not perfect, the defense is definitely not perfect, and the top scorers are not playing well. It's like that's just kind of every year. But you you, you win and lose if you're your main core, but those aren't the guys that are costing you. You need everyone else to step up there. One thing that I have wondered about this team tonight is um, in early, it was either earlier this year or it was last year, I can't remember now, Austin Matthews got injured for some extended period of time. I guess it was last year. And when he was out of the lineup, it was suddenly like this team decided, oh, we better dig in. We better do other things. We better make up for that. Now you've got your starting goalie, who's been your best goalie all year out. You're bringing in a rookie, making his first ever playoff start in the NHL. That is one thing that I do wonder about with this team. One thing they have done in recent years is that when it absolutely looks the bleakest because they have injuries, they have sometimes played their best. Maybe if you're looking for maybe a, a tiny thread to hold on to and cling to, maybe that's it. Yeah. And I'd argue, you know, just statistically, I know from the NHL uh, perspective, it's not a ton of games, but the Joseph Bull may have been the best and most consistent goalie in the entire league. Some goalie experts, a lot of them thought that maybe he should have been the guy to go with um, to start, you know, he played pretty well down the stretch. He looked really good for the Marlies, and you can kind of rally around a guy like that. With with Samson off, you know, you don't typically need to lock things down all the time because he'll get the job done. But he did not look healthy. There was a reason why he was missing time at the end of the year, and all the time we see on the camera shots, and he's slow to get up. And uh, you know, like I, I was at the first game of this series, and there was some stuff they definitely didn't show, or he was really you know there. So, you know, now you get a goalie who's healthy, who's got nothing to lose here. He's trying to prove that he can be the backup goalie next year if they move away from Samson or if they move away from Murray. And, you know, I think that's kind of exciting for that. So it could be something where they just play better and then just keep doing that the rest of the way. I do wonder, though, if if they don't win tonight, if they and every one of their fans, I, I think the fans will, but if they will look back at this and say, um, can't really remember an opportunity lost like this before. Maybe, maybe in the bubble when they played Montreal and blew the three, one series lead and could have got to the finals. But other than that, it just, this seems like everything aligned for the Leafs with Boston losing and with Tampa being out. And it, it just, it seemed as though this was, this still could be, but this was the opportunity. I, will they look at this as the biggest opportunity they've missed if they lose? Well, losing to Montreal with the team that they had out there was definitely going to be... That would be bad. That was bad. That that, that was a pretty bad black guy. But, you know, to be fair, you know, Carey Price played like the greatest goalie of all time. Uh, So there's only so much you could do at that point there. But with this, for sure, it's like you finally get that first round hurdle. And it seems like they're still celebrating that the way they were playing out there. It just, you know, it's... It's going to feel like that for sure, because after this, you know, it, if they were to play, let's say, Carolina, well, Carolina's got their flaws and, and injuries. Have been cool. Yeah, and their injuries, and wouldn't have been cool to go out there and potentially beat Anderson, the guy that was supposed to maybe lead you to a, a series win a couple of years ago, and, and then from there, go to the cup final and see what happens. But, you know, it's, again, this Florida team, 
was not very good down the stretch. They made it, but it seemed like it was more of a battle of teams not wanting to than the teams that did want to make the playoffs. And they just squeaked in. They were going with their third string goalie to start and it looked over. So it's not like the Panthers have been anything overly spectacular either, but you know, they're playing as house money. Uh, uh, you got to give them credit. Just before we let you go, there is one other game tonight involving the other Canadian team, Edmonton, which got pumped last game by Vegas. Is that the outlier or is this the round where both the Canadian teams potentially go out? Uh, that could very much happen. You know, you, they, they continue to have the same issue year after year. It seems like they can't get the goaltending they need. And we saw that again with that game. It just, they can't get it done. Yeah. You know what? If the, if the Oilers get power plays, I don't know with the, with the rate of their power play scoring, I don't know that anyone can beat them, but if it's five on five, we'll see. It could, this could be a long Canadian night tonight. We will, we will see Stephen Ellis from the daily face off. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Yeah, thanks so much. There are people in Toronto who are making a push now to say, you know what, young Dundas Square, where the Eaton Centre is, should be renamed Gordon Lightfoot Square. What about that idea? Well, I bet you that Alan Cross, who is the host of the ongoing history of new music and probably Canada's greatest music commentator, he probably has some ideas. Alan, how are you today? I'm okay, and I'm almost of two minds about this one. I do agree that we need to do something for Gordon in Toronto. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Young Dundas Square, but it should be in that area because he played Massey Hall, which is just a block over on Shooter Street, 170 some times over the course of his career. So kind of the Billy know, Joel of Madison Square Garden with with Massey Hall. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, there was the the annual Gordon Lightfoot residency, a series of shows at Massey Hall that stretched back years and years and years. So I, I could see that uh, do, doing something there or or maybe in addition to, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, there's, there, there could be something, I suppose, in Yorkville. That's, that's also another sort of legendary spot in the Gordon Lightfoot story that, uh, that there might be something to do. I mean, it's, it's, I, first of all, I'm pleased, I'm a big backer. I'm a big believer in honoring people who have done amazing things. I know some people, I mean, the Hamilton public school board just recently voted that we won't name any schools after people anymore because we, you know, for whatever reason, I, I, I completely disagree with that notion. I think that if someone has done amazing things and brought great glory, for lack of a better word to your community, then it's a good thing to honor them. So I'm glad they're doing it. But what about, you know, is, I was going to ask you if Young Dundas Square, like what is the connection to Young Dundas Square or is it just a great gathering place? It's a great gathering place. It's right in the city, right in the center of the city. Um, it does, you know, it, I don't, uh, don't know. See, there's my two minds talking. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a, it's a big intersection one of the biggest intersections, well-known intersections anywhere in the country. And that's where its name came from. I can't recall if anybody has ever come up with the notion of renaming that square since, since it was built. Uh, it would be like in, in the Canadian equivalent of renaming Times Square, but then Times Square is, is named after the New York Times building that used to be there. So Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like if it would be one thing if it was called Eaton Square, because it's, you know, the Eaton Center there or something, but it's, it's, it's just a street name. And I mean, I look, I used to go to university right down there and 
never dawned on me. I went to what was then Ryerson, now Toronto Metropolitan University, never dawned on any of us really that the name mattered. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're replacing something. I, I guess the bigger issue becomes if you do Gordon Lightfoot and I fully support them doing something for Gordon Lightfoot, what about all the others? Cause it seems like there are, I mean, go to the Canadian music hall of fame. You could probably find 30 people and that's just in music that you should be probably doing something for. No. I agree. You know, if you're going to rename the square that it's one of the most famous intersections in all of Canada, then you better name it after the right person because you can't unname it. So this is why in other cities, what we've seen, and even in Toronto, we've seen uh, streets have dual names or double names where, you know, for example, outside of where CBGBs used to be in New York, it was Johnny Ramone or um, Joey Ramone Way. Uh, but the street itself itself is is still um, whatever it is. Uh, you could. Okay, what else could you do? Well, a theater, a concert, uh, a theater. You know, or, or do what the British do. The British are very good at musical heritage. What they'll do is they'll put these blue plaques up on buildings of historical significance in terms of music. So Ringo Starr used to live here with Jimi Hendrix. Uh, David Bowie used to record here. Uh, the Kinks uh, do their thing here. Um, Mozart, was it Mozart? Who was it? Somebody, so a big classical performer, used to live uh, just down the street from where Eric Clapton lives now, and they've got this blue plaque there. So that's that kind of memorializing, I think, is 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 important. We have some of that in in Toronto, um, and I would encourage every city to do something similar because you know you walk past a building and you have no idea of its historical significance. You know, Yorkville, you bring up Yorkville. There there are, are you know, you could name part or rename part of of um of Hazelton um after Gordon. Yeah. You could name, you know, um you know an alley or there's there's open space in 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 Yorkville that would make sense as well. But it you know, Young Dundas Square is a very very prime piece of real estate. And if you're going to name it, like I say, if you're going to name it after somebody, you're, you better be, you better choose right the first time. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question on this one, because we here in Hamilton, uh, there was a push 10 years ago, maybe to put up a statue of Frankie Venom from Teenage Head. And it got pushback from some people because they said his background was not right for a statue, you know, that we don't want to have that there as well as the cost. Gordon Lightfoot is a undeniably a Canadian legend. We've heard over the last number of days since he passed all the people talking about this. There are parts of Gordon Lightfoot's story though, that are not easy. I mean, there, there are parts of his story that, you know, he, he had, he was rough around the edges at times. Would anyone push back on the idea of naming something after Gordon Lightfoot? Well, here's the problem. Every human being has flaws and you you, you can dig into anybody's life and find things that are, you know, less than Boy Scout, right? Um, Let me think. Well, for example, if you go to um, Temple Bar in, um, in, in Dublin, and uh, there's, there's an you know, along Grafton street and you, there's one side street you go and you run into a near life-size statue of Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy, a guy who was, had all kinds of demons, including he died of a heroin overdose. But yet they honor this guy as for what he contributed as a musician, as a member of the arts community. Same thing if you go to um, Fremantle, Australia, and I stumbled across this. I had no idea. I'm walking along the promenade on, on the uh, on the water, and there is a statue of Bon Scott of 
ACDC, you know, again, a guy who was a hard liver and and died of, of, of alcohol poisoning. Yet, you know, we that because people will always have flaws and they will always have skeletons in their closet. You know, nobody is perfect and there's no way to to, you know, who, who the, if, if that's your criteria, you know, who are you going to, uh, you know, no, nobody's ever going to get a statue. No, Frankie Venom. I mean, I, absolutely fantastic. Very important part of the Hamilton music scene. You know, this is a band that was around before the Sex Pistols, before the Clash. And and Frankie was was a hard liver and and he was, you know, got into fights and he was in jail and all the rest of it. But at the same time, you know, you're celebrating the artistic contributions of these people and they they should be remembered. Yeah, there's going to be flaws, but so what? You know, get over it. Yeah, I I mean, I agree 100 percent is just we know you and I and everyone listening knows the way things go right now, where if anyone discovers a flaw, we don't, we can't, we, we won't. And, and I, you know, I, I disagree with that for the very reason you just said that we all, there's not one of us that don't have some flaw in our life, but you know what, when it comes to honoring people, some people, I guess are expecting perfection. I would hope that's not the case. Cause I think that ultimately the body of work and what Gordon Lightfoot did is too important not to, but who knows, who knows. I would be, if, if you're asking me what I would do, I think, it, you know, everybody's caught up in the emotion and, and the nostalgia. Um, I would uh, take that length of Shooter Street between Young Street and uh, and Victoria, and I would double name that street, and I would call it uh, Gordon Lightfoot Way. That's what I would do. That would be, uh, that would be an excellent one. There's probably even... Uh... Yeah, that, 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 that's as good a, as, as an idea as anyone's had, honestly. And as long as they do something, as long as they do something, but we'll, we'll see how long this bogs down for, uh, Alan Cross, always love having you on. Thanks for taking a few minutes today. You're welcome. Tell you, we have talked about some weird things over the years on this station, on this show, Scott Thompson has on this show. I have on my show, uh, this is up there. This is up there. There is a report out today. That the Canadian government, as part of its cultural, you know, its expansion of Canadian culture, has spent thousands of dollars to fund a show that will pay for Canadian seniors to travel around and talk about, well, the best sex they've ever had. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how this makes our culture more let me just bring in franco terrazzato he's the director of the canadian taxpayers federation franco i'm you know some people might be right into this i mean seniors porn i suppose of some kind but i'm not sure how this is enhancing our cultural representation on the world stage well, you know, it's even worse. It's even worse than the intro because guess what? We're not even paying Canadian seniors to talk about their sex stories. We're outsourcing our senior sex <laughs> stories. Yeah, you heard that right, folks. Uh, the federal government has been spending thousands of dollars to stage these live performance where seniors in other countries would tell a live audience of their sexual histories, their their first time, best time, worst time, last time. And look, I didn't come up with that phrase. That's literally what we found um, from one of the producers of the show. So the Canadian government has been spending thousands of dollars for uh, to stage these performances where seniors in Taiwan, in Australia, in Austria would relive their sexual histories to live audiences. 
is it at least to Canadian audiences or is it is it like what's the Canadian part of this? Well, it's so this is a part of the Mission Cultural Fund. OK, this is a a slush fund within Global Affairs Canada, so the federal government, and this slush fund is supposed to be used to promote uh, Canada abroad while advancing our foreign policy priorities. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how spending Canadian taxpayers' money so that seniors in other countries can talk about their sex lives is either promoting Canada or promoting our foreign policy. I just don't make that connection, you know? Yeah, I, I'm not sure it's a slush fund or a tush fund. I'm not sure. Well, maybe oh, one. oh, man. Uh, and you okay. know what? You know what? When, when when parents tell their kids to listen to their elders, I don't know. I don't think this is what they meant. I can assure you that of all the things <laughs> that as a child I did not want to hear ever, it would have been my grandparents' stories about oh. their, you know, naughty times. Um, you know that, what? That would better be less using... about building culture and more about building PTSD. <laughs> you know, a better use of taxpayers' money? Uh, anything? Paying seniors to talk about anything else, literally anything else, 100%. You know, okay, so the 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 point of this is it's it's not an extraordinary amount of money. It's, you know, it's a few thousand right. dollars, twelve dollars or $13,000. But, uh, you know, this comes back to something else, though, that I, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've been watching a show on TV or flipping channels. And you get to the end of a show that doesn't seem to have anything to do with Canada. And then on the very end at the credits, when they're all rolling, you see that little graphic that says this was, you know, paid for in part or based on a grant from the Canadian government. I, I don't know that I completely understand what the criteria is to make something Canadian anymore. Well, you know. I I'm, I really do believe that when you neglect the little things, there is a snowball effect, right? If you don't take care of the little things and you just spend money frivolously here and there, well, that adds up. You know, I think we can all understand that in our own budgets, our own family budgets. Um, and that also works with government budgets too, right? You don't get the little things right. How do we expect them to get the big things right? And then you end up with these deficits every year now in the tens of billions of dollars of the more than $1 trillion debt. But I think more fundamentally um, is two points. So number one, yes, this spending is is only a little bit of money in the grand scheme of like the $1 trillion debt. Um, but this isn't the only type of uh, ways that they're wasting taxpayers' money. Uh, we also broke a story a little while ago about them funding a sex toy show in Germany to the tune of 8800 bucks. Um, but also, like, this isn't a priority for Canadians, right? And, and if certain Canadians want to fund these types of shows abroad, they can use their own money, but they shouldn't be relying on the money or tax dollars taken from their neighbors, Right when so many families are struggling, when so many small businesses just went through some of them two, two, three years of hell, who are worried about a looming recession around the corner. I mean, I can't believe we have to say this out loud, but this should not be a way that we're using taxpayers' hard-earned money. No, and and, and you know we're, we've been joking about this, and and with good reason because this yeah. really this really does seem to be honestly the bottom of the barrel i mean the like the lowest hanging fruit of you know come on really um but beyond all of that there are going to be people who are going to say i'm kind of offended not just disgusted i'm kind of offended by this that you're spending my tax dollars no matter what it is there are certain things that we don't seem to mind offending people with, with our tax dollars and other things that if you offend anybody, we can't do that. It, there's a very, it, it seems almost there's a very political side too, in how we're spending these dollars. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, one that I that I hadn't really even considered before this, but but that's a really good point. I, I mean, like let's just let's just remember what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about using taxpayers' money to build uh, a hospital, right? To reduce class sizes, to to fix potholes. I mean, this was a bunch of bureaucrats in a room. By the way, would love to know how they came to the decision and who was in that room who actually approved this. But this is a bunch of bureaucrats in the room. Um, who obviously have way too much taxpayers' money on their hand, if they can actually with a straight face say, yeah, this is a good use of money where seniors in other countries would talk about their sex stories in front of a live audience. Like, I just don't understand the Do you the think they really did, though, here. Franco? Do you think they really no, did? that's and, a good question. And, and Somebody I'm, had to approve the money. Well, but I'm assuming, and you know, I could be way off on this, but I'm assuming this was probably in with a like just a, a 10 page thick list of hmm. grants that they were handing out and they don't even read it, which is kind An of issue. the other, the other point yeah. you're saying is that what are we doing if we're just handing out money and we're not even looking at what we're giving it to you've either, you've either decided this yeah. is a really good use of Canadian culture money, or you have never even noticed this and they're learning it and they're going, Oh crap, that was on page four. Mm-hmm. Never even saw that one, which is problematic for all the other bunches of pages that are coming through the government that they're just rubber stamping. Yeah. And you know what? So there's two people, there's two groups of people, let's say, um, who, who I think really need to be held accountable here. Number one is, is within the bureaucracy, right? The, the people that we're talking about right now, who either are making this decision tactically or are not really paying attention. But number two, and I think the people who really need to be held accountable here are the politicians, right? Um, because now this is out in the air, right? We're having this conversation on radio, other news uh, news outlets have covered this, are covering this right now. So now it's time for the minister to be like, you know what? If this is the type of money that is being spent in the Mission Cultural Fund, right? Not just these uh, senior sex stories in places like Taiwan or that sex toy art show, if we can call it that, in Germany. Um, but they're also like in this fund, they're giving about – they gave about um, nearly $16,000 to the famous cartoonist Lynn Johnston. Uh, well, not – they didn't give her the money, but to promote – uh, Johnston's work in Washington, I should say, right? Um, they spent about $10,000 to help the famous author, Margaret Atwood, um, uh, promote a new, new book in Australia. So whether it's nearly $16,000 to promote the work of a famous cartoonist or, or, you know, nearly $10,000 to help, uh, promote a book of a famous author, this is more of the money that's coming into, out of this mission cultural fund. So I really think it's not just the stories that we're talking about today, but the broader issue that the minister has to say, Hey, look, uh, we're actually seeing this fund being used to waste people's money. It's time to just scrap the fund. Mm-hmm. Right, like if we can't use this to a priority, then it has to be scrapped. I don't know, especially Franco, in a time right now. Maybe you and I are just prudes, and everybody listening is saying, <laughs> "Come on, I'm all in on seniors talking well, about their sex then, lives." In then public. pay for it with your own money. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, that's that. That is, um, I, or maybe find a new hobby. You know, that's another <laughs> one too. That's a, or or here, don't, you don't even have to listen to other seniors. Just you know, you're allowed to do it yourself. Even better. Uh, Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation National Director. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me on. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. You know that, um, I hope you know that Mother's Day is this weekend. I'm just a friendly, friendly reminder. Get the card. Get the gift. Don't forget mom. Okay. It's a really, it's, it's make a note. Mother's day is this Sunday. 
However, before Mother's Day, if you need something to take mom to, perhaps, if you need something that maybe mom would like to go to, you know, there are some, I don't want to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a blanket statement about anything, but there, there are some mothers who I'm told enjoy a glass of wine. I don't, I mean, I, I know crazy, but there are some mothers who enjoy a glass of wine. And maybe if you're looking for something to do with your mother, well, the why not wine wine tasting festival here in Hamilton is going on on the 12th and 13th. So Friday and Saturday, Tim Potasek, everyone knows Tim Potasek. He's the guy behind super crawl and many other things in this community. He's behind this. Tim, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I am excellent. So this, is this only a mother's day, mother's wine sampling event? Oh, it's open to everyone, of course, <laughs> but we love the mothers, so everyone loves their mother, and, you know, most mothers love wine, so it does go hand in hand. Is this, now, I am, I'm going to be uh, swinging and missing here, because is this something that's been going on for years, or is this a new event? This is a new event. It's okay. a brainchild of ours that's been rolling around in between our ears for years, uh, but we finally uh, have the, you know, the means to do it. All right, because I'm glad because I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember this in the past, but maybe it's just something I haven't noticed. But all right, so what, why wine? I mean, maybe that's a too easy a question. I mean, why not wine, right? But uh, that's the name of it. But why wine? What, what's, the, what's the draw behind this as a festival? Because you're the festival guy. Well, you know, we have Because Beer in July, and uh, it sort of, um, it evolved from that, basically, like people asking us questions uh, at the beer festival about, you know, other spirits and wines. And it got us to thinking that we probably could do a small scale wine event, see, um, you know, see what kind of audience we could draw. And yeah, we spent a couple of years developing it, um, trying to figure out what would be the best way to do it. And here we, here we are. So we're, I mean, we're very excited for it. We feel like this is something that is certainly going to expand much bigger than what we are presenting this weekend. But, you know, a thousand people over two days, 500 people a day at Bridgeworks um, on Caroline Street North. And really, it's just, you know, a unique event. Uh, no one else is doing anything, you know, specific to wine like this. And we thought, you know, because there's so many beer festivals, there's not a lot of wine festivals out there. And we're just trying to serve a niche. So if you've got why not wine and because beer next has to be, how about hard liquor? <laughs> well, yeah, that's already <laughs> trademark name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, one of the things about this that I, that I'm really finding interesting is obviously you're bringing this in now. Um, super crawl is now back in full form with lots of other, we, you know, at city council over the last day or two, we've had talk about closing James street North for art crawls. Have we fully recovered now in the festival and the, these kind of things, have we fully recovered and is everything a hundred percent back to normal so you can push new events or is this still trying to get people out again? You know, I'll be honest, we didn't stop pushing events. We tried to do everything we could while, you know, COVID was still even a thing but over the years, but like, you know, and we've been, this was something that we would, would have loved to have out and in the public before COVID. Uh, but because of COVID, we've had to, you know, we shelved it a little bit, thought more about it and how we could do it. I, I think there's still some reservations out there. Absolutely. But I do think that, you know, the World Health Organization has now officially said COVID's over. Um, I believe it's fully over. I think that, you know, it's time that we get back out there. It is a struggle for festivals and events and shows in general. Some do very well, some don't. It's, you know, I mean, it's always been like that, but 
there's that added layer of COVID that's certainly, you know, uh, in the public sphere. And of course, you know, we're going to keep people as safe as we possibly can here. And we're very respectful of everybody's, you know, wishes and the way people are acting in today's day, today's day and age. You know? But Tim, I wasn't even, I mean, yeah, I, I appreciate that, but I wasn't even thinking as much about fears of COVID now, because I don't know how many people still, there's some, but most probably don't fall into that category. It's just that anytime you have a massive thing like COVID, and we haven't really lived through much of it, but people's tastes maybe change, their patterns of behavior change, the things they do for entertainment change. And if for a number of years they didn't go out, there's, there's one of two ways it goes. Either people are dying to get back out and they just can't wait to get back to something, or they kind of found something else to do and they weren't so eager to get out. And I was wondering which way it was going with the people. I think if you deliver things for people to go to, human nature is to go out, socialize and be with people. Um, and I think that's the most healthy way to be just personally. So, you know, we are going to continue to develop interesting things for people to come and partake in. And, you know, we hope we're smart enough to develop the right things and market to the right people and get and get people out and provide great entertainment. I, I just truly think people, you know, in, in uh, I'd be generalizing, but people want to get out, people want to do things, you know, it's like, kind of enough sitting in the house and watching Netflix. We've all watched everything there is to watch on Netflix. <laughs> Pretty so much. They can't make anything more for us and the hockey playoffs will be over soon enough. And it's like, let's get outside, you know, let's do things. Let's go see people and, and hang out, um, take, you know, go with friends and, and get back into, you know, what life is all about. And that's really just being with people you love. I hadn't thought about that. The festival organizers are the people who are desperate for the Leafs to be eliminated. So no one's sitting at home anymore and they're looking for things to do. I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, if people are interested in this, are there tickets still available if people were interested in going? Uh, yeah, there are. There's still some tickets available for both days. Friday's close, getting close to sold out. Um, and there's tickets available for Saturday. And we have a great lineup of entertainment, uh, great wines, um, and uh, some really great food pairings that you can, you know, you can purchase on site as well. And some vendors that are just craft vendors that we're uh, that we're including also inside um, to uh, vary the experience. It is uh, it's at the Bridgeworks on two hundred Caroline Street North. You can go to whynotwine.ca and you can get all the details right there. Uh, Tim Potasek, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Good luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Quick break. Back after this. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. On the weekend, the Liberals had their convention and there is some discussion going on now about a policy resolution that was passed. Doesn't mean that it's going to become official government policy. The prime minister has says, nope, not going to happen. But if you go online, other MPs say this is a priority kind of confuses things a little bit. The issue is around disinformation, misinformation, and control of information on the internet. And the resolution calls for the Liberals to explore options to hold online information services accountable for the veracity of material published on their platforms, and this is the key part, and to limit publication only to material whose sources can be traced. In other words, this whole thing going on with the diplomat, the Chinese diplomat from leaks from CSIS would not have been allowed. That would have been illegal. You could not have published this unless you can identify your source, which we all know would lead to sources not releasing anything because that CSIS agent or whoever it is would surely have been fired. It would have meant 
Watergate back in the day would never have been found out because Deep Throat would not have been allowed. The Washington Post could not have used it. Carmi Levy is a tech analyst and he's a journalist. He joins us now. Carmi, how are you today? I am well. Thanks for having me back, Scott. Appreciate it. Well, I'm thrilled to have you along. And I mean, look, we, we, we went down this discussion with this government with Bill C-11 and, you know, is this something that is going to lead to censorship or controlling the information that we can get? And some people say yes, some people say no, some people aren't really sure, but they're concerned. Some aren't concerned at all. Then you put this one on top of the pile. Are we right to be a little bit concerned about either the policy where it might go or just the thought that this is something that they would pass at a platform, at a, at a, at a convention? Well, you know, the, the, the fact that this could potentially open the door to putting that power in the hands of our national regulator should be a concern. You don't give the regulator power to influence what we can and cannot do online unless the regulator has the, the, the desire to actually use it. And to say that, oh, it's in the law, but we're not going to actually, we're not going to do anything about it is disingenuous. It's a lie. Canadians aren't that naive. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, I, I, you know, having, having read George Orwell's 1984 as a boy, uh, you know, I, I'm always wary of government overreach uh, when it comes to determining uh, how we express ourselves uh, and how we access the channels through which we do so. And this, to me, is a Pandora's box. And it frightens me that we're even considering opening it. Uh, what I don't understand is if the prime minister and if Seamus O'Regan, who's his good friend and cabinet minister, if they've both said, no way this is ever going to come in, this idea that you can only publish material whose sources can be traced, this is never going to happen on our watch. Why then not announce we are removing this as a resolution that was passed. We're just, we're literally taking this out right now and saying, no, it's gone. Why even leave it there? Uh, because they intend to use it. Um, and they're trying to use public relations to get us to look somewhere else and not pay attention to the fact that they're playing fast and loose with uh, freedom of expression in Canada. Uh, you know, this, this, the, you know, and I say this as a journalist, uh, the ability to maintain sources is sacrosanct is, is core to who we are. And think about how many people who, uh, do speak under the, the the promise of anonymity and how that would change the very functioning of democracy, of a free press, if that ability were taken away, if just the potential for that were, were, were entrenched in a law that holds the door open for the government to essentially say, nope, you got to, you got to cite that source. Incredibly frightening. Um, and it, 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 it unlevels the playing field. And frankly, it keeps me up at night. What is so interesting about this is the timing of it, because it's right in the midst of this whole Chinese diplomat, if you want to, <laughs> situation. But then you say, oh, well, okay, but you know, that CSIS agent, there's nothing to it, except at the same time, they have now made this diplomat persona non grata. So they've essentially said, yes, this information was good information. We believe mm -hmm. this information, but it would never, ever have come out. But for the fact that someone at CSIS leaked this, it's, it's kind of saying, yeah, it's true. And you got it only because of this, but we want to ban this. It, it, it is concerning. It is because they, it's almost as if they don't want the public to see how the sausage is made, to see how the machine works. Um, and, and in many respects, maybe they don't want us to see how they work. Uh, yeah. And, you know, how to have that transparency into government that, uh, our federal government has been promising for years, but has been patently failing to deliver time and again. Uh, and and I, I think that's also a frightening direction for us to go because Canadians do deserve to know 
how our government collects information, obviously within the constraints of national security. We certainly don't want to violate national security, but where it is appropriate to do so, we deserve to know uh, and, and we deserve to be protected. Uh, and, and that is certainly not the case here. Uh, and they are kind of almost like tweaking the rules because, of course, they hold on to the reins of power uh, to their favor. Uh, but ultimately, at least Canadians disempowered, uh, at least governments empowered. And, you know, last I checked, that's kind of not how Canadian democracy is supposed to work. Uh, Carmi, I wish we had a lot more time. And I hope you're wrong. I, I hope you're right. Oh, I pray to God that I'm wrong. I hope you know, you're and, wrong, and I'm not a religious person, but yeah, uh, I fear. We yeah. will see. Uh, Carmi Levy, always love having you on. Thanks for, sorry for the short time. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Scott. Thank you. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. As all the discussion last week and the week before was going on about what Canada should do about this Chinese diplomat that may have been involved in intimidation of Michael Chong, the MP's family or whatever else. As this was all going on, one of the concerns that was expressed is, well, we don't really want to tick off China. A number of people said that. We don't want to create a situation where we are going to pay the price for this. We got to be a little delicate with this. All right. And even after the government declared this diplomat persona non grata in the country, there were those who say, oh, you know what? China is going to retaliate and they're going to retaliate hard and they're going to hit us economically like a sledgehammer. They are going to drive their point home. And that I think makes some sense. I think a lot of people probably thought that might be, I mean, something you had to do, but this is going to be how you're going to pay for it. However, seems that there are quite a few economists, experts, those who study these things who say, yeah, China will retaliate, but they actually need Canada too in a big way. So this is not going to be a sledgehammer on a fly. There will be some reaction, but they need us very much too. I want to bring in Dr. Paul Pujolas Fons, uh, Associate Professor of Economics at McMaster University he joins us now. Doctor, thank you for this. I'm happy to be here. This, this was kind of a surprise to me when I've been reading about these experts who have said, don't worry so much because really Canada is very, very, very important economically to China. I was surprised. Is, is that really true? Um, I think that <clears throat> both, both sides are, are wrong, frankly. Okay. Um, neither China can do much, nor we matter that much. Um, both the statements are true at the same time. You don't have to be afraid of China as a as a gigantic superpower because it is true that their total GDP is big, but it's mainly driven by having a lot of people. Their GDP per capita is quite low. And sure, we trade a lot with them. It's our second trading partner. But we trade a lot, a lot, a lot more with the United States. So with the U.S., we trade about between 75 to 80% of our total trade is with the U.S. And with China, it's about 4%. Sure, 4% is the highest number among all the other trading partners outside of the US, but still it's very close to the UK, it's close to Japan's, it's it's less than all the European Union countries together. So we shouldn't overstate the importance of China for Canada, and certainly we shouldn't overstate the importance of Canada for China either. I mean, we trade, it would be great if we could keep 
healthy relationships with one another, but making a big deal out of any of that, I, I think it doesn't make any sense. The one or one of the arguments that those people who are saying China is not going to economically bludgeon Canada because they don't want to, the one argument they say is China's economy, a huge part of it is based on exports uh, to the West and they need Western countries that have disposable income to continue buying their products because there simply isn't the market within China for everything that they are producing. Is is that a fair statement? Uh, yes, uh, but again, with a, with a but. In, I mean, exports are important because it allows them to generate economic activity, but ultimately they want to buy products with those with those with that money. Uh, within the Western world, Canada is a rather small part. And we are not that important individually. We ha we are very good friends of their main trading partner, that's the United States. And just because of that, I, I think it's unwise to to annoy Canadians as much as um, uh, Americans. But again, we shouldn't really overthink that that much. It's not that important. Neither neither, neither way. It's uh, neither they are so important for us, nor we are for them. When we had the last go round with this kind of thing, when uh, Meng Wanzhou was arrested and China blocked our exports of canola as one of the things, ultimately, I mean, that, that hurt us short term for sure, but long term, did it have any real impact or after a brief period of time, did things kind of go back to normal? Everything ends up either, none of these industries is, is very big. Certainly if you are a producer of canola, you're going to be worried. I'm not a producer of canola, and 99.9% .9 of Canadians are not linked to the canola industry. For the largest majority of Canadians, this is not going to be very important. For the few that produce canola, sure, they will care about that. I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, they are going to be very affected, but even if they are, the Canadian government has tools to protect them against the downfall of, of, of an international crisis for these very specific sectors. So again, we should all understand that there is a, a bigger picture type of thing here that is the rule of law. We want to make sure that there is no, no interference against our politicians, no matter what party they belong to, whether they're in the, in the ruling party or not. And that matters to us. And, and we should be able to afford the, the cost of, of defending our own politicians. And if that cost involves a trading partner, which we trade 4% of our exports with uh, to block the canola industry. So be it. Uh, I don't think that we should be afraid of that. At the same time, it's not going to be that important. So we, we can for sure pay for it. Uh, fascinating stuff. Dr. Pau uh, Pujolis-Fons from McMaster University. Thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's been a tough slog over the term of COVID. We've all heard these stories about how people have been waiting in endless lines and months and months and months to get a passport. It's been a problem. Well, the government today came out and they've given us new passports. Well, you don't have it yet. They've, they've introduced new passports. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But one of the other things that they said today is that Canadians will now be able to apply to renew their passport online beginning in the fall. No more waiting in lines only slightly shorter than the traffic jam to get to Woodstock back in 1969. Uh, Kaylee Elaine is a media travel uh, journalist. 
She writes about this kind of stuff, uh, joins us now. Kaylee, how are you today? I'm good. I'm actually super relieved because my passport expires in 2024 and I want to get a new one about six months before traveling. So it, because of the expiry, expiration and different country requirements. So this is great news for me. Tell me about that. You know, before we get into this, that's a great point you just bring up that everywhere, every time you travel, they say, make sure your passport isn't going to expire within six months of going on your trip. If I've got a passport that goes for six more months and it's not expired, why do I need a new one? Yeah. So it really is destination specific. So you want to look at where you're traveling and what the requirements are. A lot of US um, and European destinations may require a couple months before the expiration. And a lot of that has to deal with, you know, if you get stuck there or stranded there, Ah, they want to know that your passport's still valid. But every country is different. So you want to make sure that you're following within that realm. One of the longest I've seen is, you know, around that six months or so. So usually that you're okay within that, but you know, some are a little less so you can get away with it. Um, but even, you know, there might be a destination that might be a little bit more. So always best to check before you go. Right. So if you're traveling to North Korea, you might want that extra six months because you'll probably be stuck there for a while. You know what? You might need a little <laughs> bit more than that. So <laughs> this is though, um, look in the next segment, we're going to be talking about some of the other stuff about the passport. This though, I think. If it works, if, if this works as we hope it will, this should, should I be crossing my fingers and touching wood and doing other things should be expediting the process and making it work better for people needing a new passport? Yeah. And I think it's just kind of coming into, you know, the time where a lot of things are either being virtual or a little bit more digitized to make it easier and accessible. You know, in and around the Toronto area, there are a couple passport office, but I'm sure if we have some listeners who are a little bit further from a city center, it's harder to go in person or, you know, there's a little bit of worry in mailing it. So it just makes it a little bit easier and it allows you to pre-plan a little bit better too. Should we have, and you know, like there are still people, there are people, I shouldn't say still, there are people who worry about doing things online rather than in person. Do you have any concerns? Because this is your document that really other than maybe your birth certificate really announces that you are Canadian. Do you have any concerns about this being something that's done online, that there could be things that are done to make this not as secure? Yeah, personally, I'm not too worried. You know, I'm your typical millennial who does everything online. I do my taxes online. I do my banking online. I check in for my flights online. So, you know, my information's probably out there. Someone really wants to look for it, but you know, for the the time um, saving, but also the, just the security where I know when it's going to come back. I almost prefer this than mailing my passport off and then having to maybe halt a trip or worry about the urgency. With all your work that is done on travel writing, how much over the, how often over the last number of two, three years, have you heard people, I'll, I'll use the word grumbling. I think that's a fair word, but with <laughs> justification, grumbling about the passport process. <sighs> Quite a fair bit. Um, <laughs> less in my professional work, more in my personal life. Um, just, you know, friends and family having passport qualms of it being delayed or expiring. I was actually traveling with a family member in the fall and realized that their passport was expiring much sooner than we anticipated. So I think, you know, it is a common occurrence. Um, but if we can make the process easier, then it becomes less of a hassle and maybe people will be a, a little more on top of the deadlines that are looming and coming up quickly. Yeah. One thing that I didn't see explained today, and I'm sure there's an explanation for this, but I didn't see the explanation is just because people are going to do this online, 
why will this suddenly make passports appear that much faster? Because presumably somewhere, I mean, yes, you've got the people at the counter that you have to go through, but it yeah. has to go to some place else that is the actual production. And that's been very slow. So I'm not clear how it's suddenly going to be so much faster. Yeah, I'm not clear on that too. But if you think of it just kind of like information transmission, we're taking the middle person out of mailing it. We're taking the middle person out of maybe like inputting the data because it's right there. And maybe it can be expedited a little bit in that way. And to also clarify, this is for passport renewals, right. not applications. So if you're looking for like a new passport or potentially, um, I'll have to look into the details a bit more. But maybe it's for a child who's never had a passport before. You may still have to, you know, do the old process. As someone who does a lot of traveling, are you a five-year passport person or a 10-year passport person? I am a 10-year passport person and I have my Nexus as well. <laughs> so I've got all my um, expiry dates all queued up there. So mine expires in 2024, um, not till April. So I'm looking at renewing it probably this fall, just so I have that grace period, but also, you know, potentially in between trips and travel. So after maybe that summer rush. Is there any reason you can think of not to do the 10 years? Like, why would you do a five-year one if you got to do this whole process again in half the time? Yeah, I'm not, I have always done the 10 year because I feel like, you know, why not keep it there? I think the five year one, potentially if your information is changing, but you know, you can always apply for a new one. And then, you know, I'm quite a frequent flyer and I still haven't run out of passport pages and I've, you know, been to 44 countries and counting. So I think that for a lot of people, the 10 years still kind of works really well. Uh, yeah. The only reason I can think of that I would want to do mine every five years is if I went and I got my passport picture and it was really horrible. <laughs> and I didn't want to keep that one for 10 years. I suppose yeah. you could just yeah, reach the opposite. I have a really good one. And now I'm trying to figure out how I can mimic that. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to show in 10 years. I want to still look like that for sure. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I, 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 one of the great, um, activities, anytime we travel with someone, one of the great activities is to try and take a peek at their passport and just, I, I don't know that there is anybody in Canada, maybe in the States, I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody in Canada whose passport picture doesn't make them look like a danger at the border. <laughs> They're always a little intense. Well, and it's nice because I think for not a photos aside, but in terms of the passport and the developments, it seems like they're doing a lot in terms of like security enablement and then kind of like advancement. So what I've been noticing traveling lately is there's a lot more electronic um, customs gates. Like when you're traveling into Europe, uh, you can just kind of scan through there. So having the new passport will be a benefit to all of our travels and making our airport experience a little quicker. We have to go. But the, one of the other things is that you can upload your passport photo. Now, always in the past, your passport photo has had to be stamped on the back and everything else. I yeah. wonder if this means you can do one at home on your iPhone and just keep taking it until you get one you like, which would yeah. be, hey, that would be a bonus. It would be. I wonder if they'll run into issues too with just like bad lighting or kind of like, you know, awkward angles or funny backgrounds or what people will do. We shall see. Uh, Kaylee Aline, always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Uh, hey, thanks for being here today. Thanks to Tom for pressing all the buttons and pulling the levers and feeding the gerbils on the treadmill to keep us going. Uh, thank you to Will for lining up all the guests and to our guests and to you. Thank you to you for listening. We really appreciate you being along here. Oh.